Well, good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today for sure. We are uh, excited just looking at it. It's, it's going to turn out to be a really beautiful day. Uh, sun's out and it's going to be a little bit warmer and looking forward to that. Um, Lee and I were blessed this weekend. It was supposed to have been the SCBI's um, bivocational pastors and wives retreat this last weekend and we had signed up and were ready to go and it was just us and another couple that had signed up just two of us and so the SCBI decided well and I get it it makes sense two people whole campground four people probably not the the best use of the campground so they they canceled the retreat but because those folks were friends of ours we decided we're going to retreat on our own and we got together and hung out with them in Louisville this weekend and had a had a great time hanging out with Josh and Melissa. Uh, be praying for them as they're serving up in Warsaw, Indiana this morning, and he's pastoring a Hilltop Church, and so we're excited for them and what God is doing in their ministry and have just a good time to uh, kind of reconnect with some friends and, and talk about those sorts of things. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Zechariah chapter uh, 10. If you're not sure how to find it, go to Matthew and start flipping backwards, and then you'll run into it. That's kind of the easiest way to find some of those minor prophets. If you don't have it with you, that's okay too. It will be up on the screen, and you can see the Word of the Lord there as well. So let's go ahead and get into the Word of the Lord this morning, and let's hear what God has to say to us from it. Let's hear the Word of the Lord, Zechariah chapter 10. And we'll be reading all of 10 and all of 11. Ask rain from the Lord. In the season of the spring raid, from the Lord who makes the storm clouds, and he will give them showers of rain. To everyone the vegetation in the field, for the household gods utter nonsense, and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams, they give empty consolation, therefore the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for the lack of a shepherd." My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. From him shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler, all of them together. They shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them. They shall put shame to the riders on horses. I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them. And they shall be as tough, oh, I'm sorry, and it, they shall be as though I had not rejected them. For I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior. And their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad, and their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. And I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them. And they shall be as many as there were before. Though I scattered them among the nations, yet in far countries, they shall remember me. And with their children, they shall live and return. I will bring them from home. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. And I will bring them to the land of Gilead and to Lebanon till there is no room for them. He shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the seas. 
and the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. And I will make them strong in the Lord, and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. Open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, for the glorious trees are ruined. Wail, oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has been felled. The sound of the wail of the shepherds, for their glory is ruined. The sound of the roar of the lions, for the thicket of Judah, or the thicket of the Jordan is ruined. Thus says the Lord my God. Become a shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. To those who buy them, slaughter them and, and go unpunished. And those who sell them say, Blessed be the Lord, I have become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hands of his neighbor, and each into the hand of his king, and they shall crush the land, and I will deliver none from their hand. So I became the shepherd of the flock, doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. And I took two staffs, one I named Favor, and the other I named Union. And I tended the sheep. In one month I destroyed the three shepherds, but I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is it to die? Let it die. What is to be destroyed? Let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. And I took my staff favor and I broke it, annulling the covenant that I had made with, the, with all the peoples. So it was annulled on that day. And the sheep traders who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. And I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out my wages, 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke my second staff, union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Then the Lord said to me, take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed or seek the young or heal the maimed or nourish the healthy but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hooves. Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered and his right eye utterly blinded. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. Um, we thank you for tough and tricky passages of Scripture. We thank you for for passages that are um, sometimes harsh when we read them. And I know that may sound odd to thank you for these harsh bits of Scripture, but what these harsh bits of Scripture remind us is that you are a God who even through anger still loves, who even through frustration toward his people still loves, that you are a God who, who seeks to redeem at all things. And, and, and it is your desire to reconcile your people back to you. Father, we thank you for that. 
Father, as, as we enter into this time of, of worship through the hearing and the proclamation of your word, we pray that, that our hearts be open to it, that we would be challenged, we'd be convicted, and that we would respond appropriately to what you've, you've laid upon our hearts. We ask that it would be your glory that is brought forth and shown, and it be your truth proclaimed. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So chapters 10 and 11 of Zechariah, we've, we've already talked a little bit about how in chapter 9 we kind of move from dreamlike visions that God has given Zechariah that are, that are prophecy for a specific time and to specific people, typically Zerubbabel and, and Joshua as they're rebuilding the temple. And as we move from that in chapters 9 through the end of Zechariah, what we see is now uh, Zechariah being given oracles, words from God that are messianic in, in nature. They're messianic in their prophecies. And here we see that this is messianic because it's about shepherds and their flocks. And we know that Jesus is the good shepherd. And he's going to talk to us about that. And what we're seeing here is that Judah's leaders are these shepherds and the people are the flock, but they're, they're not good shepherds. They're currently greedy shepherds and unfaithful to God. And, and God's got to rescue his people from these greedy, selfish undeserving, unloving, unkind shepherds. And he's going to be doing that by replacing the shepherds who have led his people astray. Right? So, so the fate of all of the people in Judah and in Israel, the, remember we're in a divided kingdom situation, whether that's for good or for ill, is all in God's sovereign hands. God's the one directing all of this. It's not anything outside of his realm of control. This is what he does, right? And he reveals his will to the people and, he, and to the leaders, and he puts them in place, but they're still responsible for their own actions. And they are supposed to be responding to, divine, or to God's divine word, and they're not responding appropriately to God's divine word. And there's where the, 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 the crux of the matter is, Right? We see that God has promised the people a good harvest. He's promised the people flowing wine. We say, you see that in, in 9.17, right? just a verse before where we started. But they, they look to him for all this necessary rain to bring about such a harvest. And, and we forget about this. Like this, is, this is one of the things we talked about in small groups just a little bit this morning, that, that, that we have forgotten because we're not as nearly a farming culture as we used to be. Right, that we've moved away from a mostly farming society, a mostly farming culture, we forget that rain is good and necessary. We don't want too much rain, but, but we want the necessary rains that are to come. And, and often Scripture speaks of rain. When it speaks of rain, it's speaking to them in a, in a positive manner. Rain is nourishing. It's renewing. It, it's a good thing. And so here we see this rain. They're asking the Lord for rain. But they've not really been asking the Lord for rain. They've been asking the Lord God Almighty for rain, but then they've also been going to these household gods, these little pagan gods that, that they make claims of bringing in thunderstorms and rains, right? These, these false gods. Um, the question here before the people of Judah is, is, is Zechariah is, is giving this to them, is who are you really looking to to bring the rain? Are you really looking to bring the God of all creation to bring the rain, or are you looking to Baal, 
who's fake, right? Or some of these other fake gods. Who are you looking to? False pagan gods or the one true God, the God of heaven and earth, the God of all creation? See, in the past, these leaders, I can't even believe it, the leaders of Israel had made shrines in their homes and sought out help from these fake pagan gods. The the priests and the leadership had been doing this. And and so they're, they're seeking out false gods. Not only then do they seek out false gods, they then seek out false prophets of the false gods, false diviners of the false prophets of the false gods. And it's just this mess. And because of this faithlessness of the leaders, the people are really without any real leadership. They're wandering. They're sheep without a shepherd. Lee and I have have taken, I guess we might call it a a guilty pleasure, a a silly indulgence. There's a a TV show that streams on, on on Amazon called Clarkson's Farm. Now, some of you may know who Jeremy Clarkson is. He hosted a, a British TV show called Top Gear for a while. And, and he's a car guy. Like, he's a gearhead, like a real gearhead. Um, to the point that when he purchased this 1,000-acre farm out in, out in south of England, he made sure to have a Lamborghini tractor kind of gearhead. That's the kind of guy he is. And it's, it's been this show that is about his misadventures in farming. He knows absolutely nothing about a farm except, I have a farm. (laughs) And that's what he knows. And in the very first season of this, he decided he wanted sheep. And the sheep were such a disaster in his fields. Jumping fences, tearing down walls, destroying other people's property. Because they had nobody to shepherd the sheep. He eventually had to sell his flock to the guy he bought the flock from because that guy knew how to shepherd the sheep. Well, what we see here is just this. The people of Israel, the people of Judah, they're wandering around aimlessly. They're tearing up stuff. They're destroying their lives because they have no good shepherd to lead them in a godly manner. And God's anger has kindled against these leaders. He's angry on behalf of his people. Understand that. He's not just angry because it's bad leadership. He's angry because it's bad leadership that has led his people astray. And he's angry for his people. It's a righteous anger. Why have you done this to these people? They don't don't even know any better. Stop taking advantage of this. And he describes these leaders as male goats. Male goats are mean sometimes. They they can be abusive. I remember as a little kid in a petting zoo situation, a male goat came ramming at us, like trying to hold him back by his horns and pushing him away as he was trying to push into this little group of first and second grade kids. They can get really abusive. And that's what the male goat analogy is here, an abusive power situation. And God's going to remove the leaders who mislead the flock. And he's going to replace them with a new shepherd. The flock will be changed from this wandering sheep, these just wandering animals, into a majestic war horse. The new leader the Lord provides is described as a cornerstone, a tent peg, and a battle bow. These are are great terms. 
Cornerstone represents this, this strong and solid foundation upon which everything else is built. The tent peg symbolizes stability. And the battle bow is this image of, of military strength. Right? These are images of both the coming Messiah that's mentioned in chapter 9, as well as the lower level overseers and the lower level rulers. Right? The new leaders will be triumphant over all their foes because of the Lord's presence with them. He's making them these things. They're not making themselves any of this. Then we get into the second half of chapter 10, and it's about the restoring of the flock. Right? That, that God, is, God is going to care for the remnant, both in Judah and Ephraim. Ephraim is sometimes, or Ephraim is, is sometimes the description of the northern tribes. And he's going to restore them as his people after the exile, bringing you back out of your exiles. Remember, Judah was off into Babylon and Persia. Uh, the northern kingdom went off into Assyria and then kind of scattered from there. I'm bringing you boys home. And you're going to be my people again. And as the Lord intervenes for his people, they will be delivered and they will be strengthened. They, the, they're, they're, they used to be these sheep without a shepherd and they were rejected by God because of that. He will have compassion on them. He will complete the process of restoration that, that he began when, when Judah started trickling back from the exile. Right? And the restoration will include the house of Joseph. Again, another reference to the northern kingdoms of Israel. And, and these people that were scattered, and they were all thrown out everywhere. They were scattered by the Assyrians. They were in this diaspora. He's going to call them home. And as the people call out to God in their exile, he's going to hear them, and he's going to bring them home, and he's going to give the people joy. He's going to give the people strength. I love, I love the imagery in verse 8. I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them, and they shall be as many as there were before. My dad had this whistle. Like he could, I still to this day, I, he tried to teach me. I can never, he could stick his pinky fingers in like this, and man, you could hear it. Or he could just go like this with his his middle finger and his thumb, and he would whistle in this way that was so distinct, so clear, so everybody knew it, that if we were out in the neighborhood playing, he would, he would do this whistle, and it could be heard five, six blocks away. I swear, it seemed like it was a mile but <laughs> as a kid. But he could whistle, and every kid in the neighborhood would go, you got to get home, man. That's your dad's whistle. You got to go now, right? And he could just stand out on the front porch and do that. And it was our signal to head home. Head home right then and there. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Move. Pedal that bike as hard as you can pedal that bicycle. Park it in the garage. Wash up for dinner. Whatever it was. Dad was calling us home. When I read verse 8, I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them, and they shall be as many as there were before. That's the image I get in my head when I read verse 8. God the Father using his distinct whistle to call everyone who can hear to bring his children back home. The Lord will whistle for his people, and he will bring them back from all the nations where, where he had scattered them, where they were out. And it will be loud, and it will be clear, and it will be his people, and he will bring them 
home. They will hear it in Egypt. They're going to hear it in Assyria. They're going to hear it in, in Babylon. They're going to hear it. And it's going to be this signal of their restoration as God is bringing them home. And as Chris and I have, have preached through Ezra and then Nehemiah and then Haggai, we, we mentioned that the people coming out of this exile, it's, it's this second type of exodus. Zechariah 10, 11. And he shall pass through the sea of trouble and strike down the waves of the sea. And all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. We see that image of this second exodus again. This time the people will pass through a sea of troubles instead of passing through the Red Sea. See, God is freeing his people from Assyria and he's freeing his people from Babylon just like he freed them from Egypt. And in freeing them, he's going to restore them to the fertile promised lands of Lebanon and Gilead and Israel. He's going to bring them home. And I love that Zechariah 10, as we look at this, shows us the truth about the work of the Messiah. We see these images of a, of a faithful shepherd who delivers, who strengthens, who cares, who saves. And the Messiah's faithfulness is demonstrated in, in bringing his people out of exile. But Zechariah's prophecy continues. We move on into to the to what, from, from now, it, it kind of goes to the future good shepherd. Not just from the future, but it's going to go to the current shepherds and talk about how these leaders have misled the people and how they have willingly and willfully been poor shepherds and how these bad shepherds are going to be brought down. There's, there's three different interesting horticultural images about God's judgment here. Lebanon's massive cedar trees are going to be destroyed by fire, devoured, it says, by fire. Bashan's mighty oaks will be felled, and then the lush thicket of the Jordan will be ruined. That's a very interesting idea that these things are going to be taking place, that these, these leaders that, that have done bad things, they're going to be laid to rest. These three verses, or verse three, as we look at this, says, the shepherds will wait for their glory is ruined or will wail, sorry, will wail for their glory is ruined. They see what they have done has led to their own destruction. They see that what they have done has, has, has indicated they are now in distress. This is a distress call kind of wail. This is not a, oh, so worry me. No, these folks know what they've done, and they're howling deeply and mournfully in despair because of it. Their glory is ruined, and it is a heavy loss for them and they are grieving that because they were glorified more than god uh, that word glory there is translated it can also be translated as cloak or coat but when we talk about it being a cloak or a coat it's it's more of like royal garments and not just royal garments like what well, i'm going to put on my everyday royal garments and go sit in the throne room and do my everyday royal business this is ceremonial royal garments. This is coronation-y kind of stuff. That's how they had cloaked themselves as, that they were that high, that elevated. These shepherds were these human leaders who'd become so dependent upon their own strength. They depended upon their own wisdom. These were bad leaders who depended on their own resources and their own cleverness. They elevated themselves rather than elevating 
God. They lost their humility, and now God will humble them. The personal glory they sought for themselves has been brought about and is bringing about their own destruction. Church, hear this. Human leaders will fail. We will always fail. We will always fall short. We will always goof, mess up, screw up, however you want to phrase it. Human leaders will fall short. The best human leaders will fall short. Do not place your faith in people. Do not place your faith in people. Don't place your faith in me. Don't place your faith in Leah. Don't place your faith in Chris. Don't place your faith in people. I don't care how good you think the people are. You place your faith in people. That will lead you to disappointment. That will lead you to despair. Place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, period. Period. He is the only shepherd. He is the only shepherd who is not tainted with sin. He is the only shepherd who is not tainted with selfishness. He surpasses the shortcomings of all human shepherds. Trust in him. Have faith in him. Place your life in his hands. That's where you got to go. Verse 4, we see a, a change in genre. We've moved from this this poem that we've seen really from chapter 9 until verse 11, chapter 3. Chapter 11, verse 3, sorry. We, we see this change. And now all of a sudden we've gone from this, like I said, prophecy written in poetry to now this narrative, right? A story. We see Zechariah himself acting out the role of a shepherd, a bad shepherd. He's, he's portraying a bad shepherd whom the sheep come to detest. And then he leaves the flock with an even more worthless shepherd. So Zechariah acts out his prophecy. He becomes this living picture of the prophecy. He, he becomes the shepherd to the flock symbolically that's doomed for the slaughter. And no one cared for this flock. The owner did not care for the flock. The hired shepherds did not care for the flock. All either party wanted, all they wanted was to acquire their own personal wealth. And they wanted to use this flock of sheep to that end. This is kind of a representation of, of the Lord's attitude towards his people in the past. He abandoned them to their own sin that led them to suffer under the abuse of the Persian overlords. The exile wasn't just because God said, I'm done with you people. It was because God had said, look, I have given you uncounted second chances to come out of your sin. And you've not listened to that wisdom. I've sent you prophets to tell you, come out of your sin. And you've not listened to their wisdom that I gave them. You want your sin? Let's see where it takes you, boys. And he turned them loose to it. And that's what Zechariah is acting out here. He acts out this prophecy. He's, he's got these two staffs, one named Favor and one named Union. And the staff's names show the good intentions toward the sheep. God wanted to have favor with his people. He wanted to show them favor. God wanted them to be unified as a people, to love him, and he wanted to have union and communion with them. <coughs> There's good intentions there. 
But in a very short period of time, Zechariah killed off three of the bad shepherds and took over as shepherd of the flock. And we see him trying to completely purge the people of useless leadership. But instead of building up a good relationship with the flock, he became impatient and he became frustrated with the flock. And they detested him and hated him for it. Because of this, I love it. Zechariah just gives us, he just gives us notice, I quit. I'm just, he resigns from being their shepherd and allowed the flock to die off, allows the flock to then devour itself. And a show of how serious he is about this, he breaks the staff named Favor, showing that it's a breaking of the covenant with the nations that surrounded Israel, leaving the, vulner, the flock completely vulnerable to their attacks. And then he asks for his wages, just pay me what I owe, what you owe me, let me get out of here. And they pay him 30 pieces of silver. There, there's a lot on this one. This is Levitical as well as New Testament gospel. Levitical in the fact that that's what you would pay for an injured slave if you had to pay out an injured slave 30 pieces of silver. New Testament gospel, and that's what Judas took for the head of Jesus. Price of a slave. And then, and then I love this. Zechariah takes that, that 30 pieces of silver and he throws them to the potter. Because God said, just, just get rid of it. That's, it's trash money, right? The fact that the potter's working at the house of the Lord even suggests here that God has rejected some of the temple activities that were going on by these leaders as well. There's nothing good there. Throw it to the potter. And then Zechariah breaks that second staff union, signifying that the union between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, that's going to be broken as well. And so he's completed his resignation, and Zechariah has left the flock without a good and a wise shepherd. Man, there's, there's much about the future Messiah in this passage. When we think about the fact that Christ came as, as God's great wise shepherd, only to be forsaken by his own people. And not just forsaken, but again, sold out by one of his own 12, the, the men he had chosen to be with him for just 30 pieces of silver. Again, following bad shepherds leads to pain and destruction. Christ is the good, wise shepherd we need. He is the only shepherd worthy to truly follow. Those who reject him ultimately are rejected by him. In Matthew 23, 37, 39, Jesus himself says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. So your house is left to desolation, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When you reject Christ, he has no choice but to also reject you. That's how holiness works. When you reject holiness, you can't be near it. And as Zechariah then starts to, to wrap up his oracle here, uh, about the foolish shepherd. He, he's shown him what this foolish shepherd is like. He portrays this evil, foolish, worthless shepherd. 
And, and the word here for foolish is not like our word for foolish. We think of the word in English as foolish as being just stupidity a lot of times. Just a dullard, right? Somebody who can't seem to make wise decisions. Biblically, this word foolish in, in the Hebrew implies more. This is someone who's not just dumb, acting out stupidly or stupidly, but someone who is morally deficient as well. That their stupidity leads them to morally object things, just, just things that are not good for them. They're deficient in their own morals. They don't care and has no desire to care for the flock. He doesn't search out for the sheep when they wander off. This person will not seek to heal them when they're hurt or injured. His only purpose is to devour and destroy the sheep, every last bit of them, even the hooves. I grew up thinking that was only good for making glue. I certainly wouldn't want it in my stew pot. But here's the thing. Even though Jesus, God's Messiah, came to the people of Israel, even though they still rejected him and they turned to false prophets in his place, the false prophets come to abuse and mercilessly harm the people of Israel. Many commentators recognize this ultimate expression of the foolish shepherd as the Antichrist of the end times. It's not that the person's just bad at what they do. It's they're purposefully bad. There is a malicious intent into being a bad leader here. This foolish leader and false shepherd here doesn't just lead Israel astray, but desires to lead the whole world astray and away from God. And then we see in verse 17, Woe to my worthless shepherd, who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered, his right eye utterly blinded. This shows that that this false shepherd being struck down, he loses all strength and he loses all intelligence as he's struck down by the one true shepherd, Jesus, who's already won the victory. So what does this mean? As we look at this, how how do we apply this? What does this mean to us today? If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a sheep without a shepherd. You're actively rejecting the true and right shepherd. And here, we're, we're all sinful and rebellious people. We have all rebelled against God and His truth. Because of that, because we've rebelled like that, we deserve death. We deserve an eternal separation from God's favor. But God in his love for the people he created designed a way for the rebel to become a saint. And an amen for that. Jesus, who is God in human form, came and lived among us. In his life here on earth, he fulfilled the law of God that we cannot. He has done for us what we could never do. He is In this, he rescues us. He takes our sin, he takes our shame, and he places them on the cross with his own body. And he willingly, willingly pays for our sin by sacrificing himself for our sake. Jesus was then raised from death to provide the only way for us to be rescued and restored to right relationship with God. 
We must admit our sinfulness. We've got to stop trusting in ourselves. We've got to stop trusting in our power and our wisdom and our might because they're not any good. We must ask Jesus to forgive us and ask him to rescue us. And when we do, this is when it happens. This is when when the great things take place. When we do this, Jesus then brings us new life. And he begins the work of making us new creatures. God, through Jesus, renews all aspects of our lives. He'll bring you into his flock, and he will be your shepherd. And if you are a follower of Christ today, I want you to take today's passage, and I want you to think deeply about what you may be following instead of Christ. I've already told you, people make bad shepherds here. Don't follow people, follow Christ. When you hear the shepherd's whistle calling you away from sin or calling you away from harm, do you ignore that whistle or do you run toward that whistle? Are you willing to listen for the shepherd through his word? Are you you in fellowship with others in the flock? The interesting thing is, is in all of these images about these false shepherds, one of the things that we see is they all tend to be driving the sheep towards the butcher. Jesus leads his flock to green pastures and to life. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we just thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for this time we've had to be in it. I pray, Lord, that as as this has been delivered, that it truly be of you. And that as we, as as followers of Christ, we consider these questions that we've asked. Are we running toward your whistle? Are we listening for for you as the shepherd through your word? Are we in fellowship with others that are in your flock? Father, we want to be led by the one true shepherd, Jesus Christ. Let us be led by you. Father, for those who maybe are hearing this online or wherever, and maybe they don't know Jesus as their shepherd yet, I pray that through this that they would would hear that gospel call. They would hear your whistle. Father, that they, they contact us, they contact someone to come to see you, to know who you are. Father, as we enter into our time of Uh, of closing, our time of invitation, our time of uh, decision-making. You just continue to speak to our hearts through your word. Have us respond to the word we've heard today rightly and appropriately. Draw us close to you. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name I pray.